Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, I feature collector Suzanne McFadden. Born and raised in Kingston, Jamaica, Suzanne is a writer and leading collector of contemporary art. She holds a BA in French literature from Cornell University and an MFA in writing from Mills College. Her philanthropic investments beyond the art world address food insecurity. She is the current board chair of the Blanton Museum of Art at the University of Texas at Austin. She is a trustee of the Student Museum of Harlem and also serves on Pratt Institute's DEIA committee. As a black female art collector, her collection focuses on works that reflect who she is. Woman, black, mother, immigrant, traveler, survivor, writer, other. It gives me pleasure to feature collector Suzanne McFadden. Enjoy this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Suzanne, I'm delighted to have you join me on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast today. Very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. When did you discover your interest in the visual arts? I was always interested in in visual arts. Two reasons. One was that around our home, I grew up in Kingston, Jamaica, and we always had family photographs scattered all over the place. So I, I saw that and I always reacted to the joy in them and the memory in them. Uh, we also had lots of family overseas, mostly in England at that time. And so they would send pictures, you know, to keep us up to date with their lives. And then my father had a had bought a set of Encyclopedia Britannica. And I always gravitated towards the volumes that featured art and travel. And of course, the art volume at that time went up through maybe Picasso, so through Cubism, let's say. And I just really enjoyed looking at the pictures. When I went to college, which I went to Cornell University many years later, I took a couple art history courses and just for sheer, it were, they were electives. And I really enjoyed them. So I would say I've always had an interest in the visual arts, um, but did not understand that what I liked, which were the photographs, were also art as much as anything that I saw in the Encyclopedia Britannica. That came for me much later, that recognition that it was all part and parcel of the same thing. You know, I have a question. When you saw an original work in person that you had seen in print, Mm -hmm. Were you in awe? Yes. The first artist that I would say that I fell in love with just on my own was Kandinsky. And I did have a trip to Paris when I was in my early 20s. And I saw a work of his. I don't remember what museum or institution it was at now, but 
yes, to see it up close was just this incredible thing. So much more vivid and engrossing than it could ever be in print. Yes, there are details, marks, um, color variations that print, especially in the 1970s, you never would have been able to get that detail in a print in a book. So, and it still happens. I remember seeing my first Basque in person, which would have been in 2010. And that was mind blowing at our Basel in Switzerland. That was just absolutely mind blowing. I can still remember it was red with just a gold skull in the, in the center of it, a huge painting. I still feel that way when I see works of art that move me. So what artists influenced your collection? That's a very interesting question that you ask. You know, when, when I started out from both the art history courses and my early life, I thought art was, you know, Picasso. I never gravitated towards old masters. I thought art was with a capital A, you know, Picasso, Matisse, Cezanne, right? But it was that trip to, to Basel that changed my relationship to art. So, for example, on that very same trip, I saw a Caribbean Sea by Sugimoto. And that Caribbean Sea was made on Jamaica in, I think, 1981. It was the first one that he ever did. And all of a sudden, it struck me that, you know, here was this island that I lived on. And I grew up at a very tumultuous time in Jamaica's history, in which we had a prime minister who was saying, wait a second, this is an island of Black people, but imperialists and colonizers come here and take the best of our island, and we don't benefit from it. And so he wanted to change that. Maybe he didn't go about it in the best way, but it really opened my eyes into, in the sense of like, oh, I live in paradise, but there are places here where I wouldn't be welcome or my father who's darker skinned wouldn't be welcome. And so that trip to Basel, everything kind of crystallized for me in the sense that I started to see artists who were making work that related to me. So if you go back to Basquiat for a second, and you take his work where he crosses out Picasso and he writes his own name and he crowns himself, you know, he puts himself in there. I would say that certainly influenced me in terms of now, okay, so my history, Basquiat also has Haitian origin, so he's important to this story, you know, from the, from the West Indies and from an island that struggled mightily to gain its independence it's thinking like no one's going to give us anything, right? So we have to claim it. So with that in mind, I started to look with very different eyes. So at that same particular fair, Sugimoto definitely influenced me because then I started thinking, who else made art on my island? So Barclay Hendricks made work every year. He went to Jamaica for a month, made work there every day. And then Glenn Ligon, he has no relationship to Jamaica that I know of anyway, but he was making work based on the text of Glenn Bald of, of um, James Baldwin, rather, based on Baldwin's time in Switzerland and being the only Black person that these people had ever seen. So that started to really impact me. And then Wangechi Mutu, whose work I find particularly beautiful, has also influenced me a lot. And Alma Thomas, I know a lot of people talk about Alma, but I think I was on that train from the minute I saw that portrait come into the White House. I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much happiness in there. Yinka Shonabari, because I think his concept, which is 
again, based on literature, which is the idea that once the colonizer, the imperialist comes in, no matter how much you want to protect your culture, it can never be the same again. And we have to accept that. I think that also influences how I see work, you know. And then there's also the bulk of my adult life was spent as a stay-at-home parent. So whenever I see artists that are referencing the interior domestic life, Sheila Hicks, for example, I can respond to that, that quiet interiority. So those are some of the big influences that I've had um, that have impacted my collection. That's broad, which is perfect. Yeah, but you know, one thing I would say is, so I grew up in one country, but I live in another. So I'm an immigrant. I'm Black. I've lived in other countries as well. I've traveled extensively. My heritage is very mixed. So I'm not one thing, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a part of the diaspora with other influences. So it would be hard for me to say like, there's only one type of artist that influences me. Yes. So, so yeah, my, my influences are very broad because of that. What type of relationship do you like to have with artists? Well, when I was that full-time stay-at-home parent, it was very difficult to have a relationship with artists. I live in Austin, Texas, and there are not a lot of artists here, although I'm very, very happy that Deborah Roberts um, calls Austin home. She's also someone whose work I really love because I think that it, it does chronicle a lot of what Black women black and Black girls and, and boys face in their life, which is where you have to sort of piece yourself together you know, and, and separate yourself from what is often forced upon you. But anyway, so during that time that I was a stay-at-home parent, I was not developing relationships with artists. Today that I have some, a little bit more free time, I really enjoy conversing with them, understanding what they're thinking about, who influences them. I don't have a relationship with him, but one of the best shows that I ever saw was Kerry James Marshall's Mastery at the Met Breuer. And we had his work on one floor, but then on another floor, he had curated artists that had influenced him or somehow he connected with their, their work. And, and that was very good. So when I come to an artist, I'm always interested in finding out who are you looking at? What are you seeing? What are you thinking about? Because I like artists who have strong intellectual rigor that they're bringing to their canvases or whatever surfaces they're working with. So I like hearing that. And I, I like understanding what they see for their future. Are they want to continue in the same vein? Is there something they want to explore? So now that I have more time, I would say that I can have more conversations and some definitely are developing into friendships. And that's good. How would you define Black art? Aha. Uh -huh. This is a tough question. Good question. It's a good question, but it's a tough question. and. I, I realize that I don't really like the term black art because for so long that has been used in a pejorative way and a reductive way. And it shouldn't be reductive. And Frank Bowling, who's an artist that I very much admire, is someone who rejected that label for a long time. And, you know, if you think about, he left Guyana and he moved to, to England, which is where he did a lot of his work, although he did live in the U.S. and, and work with many artists of his generation um, in the 70s. It's been used to keep artists who are of color out of the canon. So that is where I have the issue with it. But 
you know, and I, and I think if you came to Alma Thomas's work and, or you came to Sam Gilliam's work or you came to Felix Gonzalez tourist work at the Whitney, that's my, one of my favorite sculptures in the stairwell. I visited every time I'm there and you didn't know that it was made by a person of color or what their agenda was. I think you would say this is good work and you'd be attracted to it. Right. So I think good mark making is good mark making. And that's what I look for in any artist that I wish to collect is what are they doing, you know, and why is it interesting? And I just got in the mail this week, the book that was made by uh, or made in connection with St. Fleur for the basketball project. You know, they had the auction, they had an auction recently. And this, uh, this is a project that makes basketball spaces in underserved communities. But anyway, on the cover of this book is a very famous work by David Hammonds. And it's a, it's a basketball that's sort of surrounded by Baroque type of background. And someone in my house who's not a person of color said, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. And they didn't understand the significance of this work, you know, the conceptualization of it, of how sports and music are often used in underserved communities, Black communities, as a way out, right? She just saw beauty. So is that Black art or is that art? It moved her. And I think that that's the purpose of art. It moves you. So that is why I struggle with the term Black art. But if I had to define it, I would say that Black art is work that's being made to tell our stories. And these are stories that have often been left out. So I'm going to go back to my friend, uh, Mr. Picasso, and, and I'll bring in Mr. Brancusi as well. And we know that Brancusi in particular was looking at Africa when he was making some of his heads, right? And we see those heads and we see his sculptures in museums. But it's only been recently that we've been told that these were some of the things that he was looking at and that he was working with, okay? And now that's being given space to breathe as well. And that part of the story is very important because we had histories before we were taken from wherever we were taken from. And so maybe that's how I would wanna define it, is that these stories that are now finally being heard and need to be heard. What would you say are the characteristics of your collection? My collection focuses on joy. I like pretty things. I like beauty. And sometimes it's beauty that's brought from pain. You know, I love Alma Thomas. I don't think I've ever seen an Alma Thomas that I didn't feel some joy. And yet still her, her signature mark that we're, we've all become so familiar with did come about in part because she had arthritis. You know, that was the mark that she could make. If you look at her early works, her marks were much larger you know, but how much joy do we see from that? Or the first time that I ever saw a Sam Gilliam canvas, I did not realize that maybe the red in there represented blood that was being shed during the civil rights movement. Or Ruth Asawa is another artist that I particularly love. Her, her Tidewire sculptures are beautiful. And I imagine influenced in some way from the fact that her family was interred during the Second World War uh, when Americans decided it was okay to inter their Japanese American citizens. So I will always look at moments that are beautiful 
you know, even if they have been brought from pain. So I like that a lot. I, I wouldn't say that, you know, everything is joyful in its origin, but I would say that when I look at it, it brings me joy. And I also like to collect things that bring together the different parts of me, you know, Black, woman, immigrant, other, divorced, art collector. So those are definitely all the things that I look at and I bring whenever I'm out in the marketplace looking at work that I'm considering. It sounds like you have a preference for abstraction versus figurative. Can you comment on that? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely, when I started out was miss abstraction. I loved abstraction and I still do because I can bring myself to it, you know, and I can make up stories all day long. I mean, with it. But in today's marketplace, it's very hard to get away from figurative. I've heard someone describe it as figurative fatigue. And I would definitely say that that there's that part of it. But I think as I've become more educated over the years, and, and I think educating oneself is very important, especially today, that I've come to appreciate figuration more. And one of the works that I think is a great example of how figuration can be as intriguing as abstraction would be Nighthawks by Hopper. You know, that's a painting I love, hangs in the Art Institute of Chicago. That was a work also when I saw it in person for the first time, I was surprised at how small it is, you know, but you want to know everything that's happening in that work the angles that he uses, the people, what are they thinking? Where are they going? Where are they coming from? Do they have a second cup of coffee? So, you know, I really like that. But I mean, you can also see that in a Carrie James Marshall work. That was one of the works that I recently saw in a collection in which just the look on the subject's faces made you want to get closer and wonder, what is this person thinking? You know, what are these words that have been written here, that have been written here with the symbols, the marks? So I've definitely come to appreciate figuration a lot more as I've gotten deeper and deeper into my love of art. And does the artist's narrative influence your interest in the work? Sometimes it can. I'm a very visual person. So I like to be attracted to things first, and then I will usually want to know more. So I've always struggled, for example, with conceptual art. If you think of some of like maybe the, the bigger names, I suppose you could describe David Hammonds as a conceptual artist. I don't struggle with him as much because he always makes me smile. And I like that. You know, I like that he makes me smile and that makes me want to get closer to the work. I don't find that his work pushes me away. I find that it makes me want to come closer. And so once I have that relationship with the work, I will usually want to have a narrative conversation and get closer. But if it's an emerging artist, let's say, yeah, sometimes if we can talk about what they're doing or I've only seen one work and I'm intrigued, having a conversation, yes, is very important. And then we go back into that, you know, what is the rigor of their practice? What are they seeing? What are, what are they thinking? And then I wanna, might want to lend my support, you know, to see that artist. Patronage is very important. I mean, I've talked about Hammonds a bit here, but that's what allowed him. You know, he had one amazing patron when he first started out, and that's what allowed him to, to be able to continue as an artist. And I, I think that's very important. So if, if there's a young artist who I think is doing something that merits support, and I can get that from, from having understanding the narrative, then, then yes, I think that's very important and would influence me. Do you hang art throughout your home? 
bedroom, bathrooms, hallways? Absolutely. Maybe not so much the bathroom because of condensation and issues of conservation. But yeah, definitely. And not near any any place where there's going to be great fluctuation. I live in Texas, so we have to remember that, right? So we're going to have great fluctuations of temperature here. So I'm always very conscious of that. But yeah, I want to live with what I purchase. I definitely do. And I don't live with everything at once. I tend to get thing claustrophobia. I don't have space claustrophobia, but I can't stand to be surrounded by too many things at once. I like to savor. So that's what I do with, with the art that I have. I hang select pieces. I enjoy them. And then I give them a break and put other things that I enjoy. And then I'll come back to, to other things that I love. And also you do have to do that with works on paper and photography as well. You know, you can't have them up permanently. What are you excited about now? Well, having just become the chair of the board at the Blanton Museum here in Austin, Texas, I'm very excited about that. I think it's a fine institution who's already doing work in the community. And I think there's more work that we can do in our community. And I'm very excited to be a part of that, to be more outward facing. We are, I'll tell you one story that illustrates this, which is that we had someone on our cleaning crew who was going through the galleries and we had a painting hung by an artist who is of Hispanic descent. And the cleaning crew mentioned to a curator how excited she was because she'd never seen anyone in a museum before that looked like her. And that is the power of art. She probably went home, told her family that, you know, look, there was someone that looked like me. And art is very important. It breaks down barriers, right? It brings people together. Those family photographs that I described at the beginning, You know, that's what kept my family together across an ocean. So I would like to see more people in our community understand that museums are places where you can come, you can gather, you can learn about your history. And that's why this moment in time is so important. You know, those stories that have been left out for so long, the fact that these great European masters were looking at the African continent, that they were being inspired by the African continent, those stories are being told today. The fact that Kerry James Marshall is going to be redoing the stained glass windows at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., okay? How inspiring is that? And that's what excites me today is that For so long, people who have not seen themselves reflected in these ivory towers, you know, get to understand that we belong there too. You belong there too. And so I think this is an exciting moment in time. And I am hopeful. I believe, actually, I'm going to say I believe it's not just a moment. I think it is a time that is going to stay. And I find that very exciting for my children, not just for me, but for my children as well. So this has been a great conversation. I appreciate your insight and the knowledge that you've shared with us. This is going to be the last question, and that is, what do you feel is the purpose of art? I think that art is here to reflect who we are. From the earliest evidence that we have of man, we've had art. There are cave drawings, horses, handprints. So It reflects who we are. It mirrors to us who we are as a a society, as people. And hopefully it gives us something to aspire to. 
hopefully it's a reflection of our best selves or maybe even shows us places that we don't want to go and shows us things that we never imagined possible. So one example that I will use to illustrate what I'm saying is that when I saw Amy Sherrill's show at Hauser and Worth in Los Angeles this spring, and I saw the picture of the black surfers or the young woman with her bicycle in what looked to be an idyllic community standing in front of the, or the yellow flowers that were in the picture. Maybe that's not something that others might have imagined a young woman who looked like that to be there. But that's what art does. It shows you what exists that you might never have known existed before. And maybe it might also show you a possibility of who you could be. And I think that that is what the great beauty and purpose and power of art is. It opens your mind. And what greater purpose is there in life than opening your mind? It's just been uh, a pleasure interviewing you. And I'm sure the art community is excited that you have more time to work with them and help the surrounding communities. So thank you so much for your time today. Phyllis, it was my great pleasure to be here. And thank you so much for the opportunity and calling me for anything at all. I will. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.